friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. When I was an undergrad, I had the opportunity to study abroad over in Australia. And on one of our weekends, they took us to this ranch to get, uh, you know, the real authentic outback experience, uh, not, not a fast, you know, restaurant chain that we might have here. You know, this is a place where they let you pretend to get the experience and we got to do some really fun things. But when we got there, we traveled all day in a hot car, no AC. When we get there, our director for the weekend is telling us, you know, the rules, our schedule, what we'll be doing. At the end, he said this one very crucial thing. And he said, I'm not going to say it in Australian accent, so don't get uh, disappointed. But he says this, and oh yeah, we've, you know, we've got this uh, friend visiting us in the bathhouse. Don't mind her. She just ate. Nothing to worry about. Well, apparently this friendly visitor is a giant Australian snake of some sorts that had made its home in the rafters of the bathhouse after it had eaten. Uh, So we're all, you know, getting a little worried about this snake and having to go to the restroom and take showers and that. So I go and, you know, get in the shower. And the first thing I'm looking for is this snake, right? I do not want to not know where it is. So I find it. It's about 10 feet away, just hanging up in the rafters. And this thing just was a monster. And I, I thought in that moment, you know, what did this thing eat? A student from the last group from last weekend? This thing was huge. Uh, as you can imagine, you know, my attention was elsewhere in this moment. I probably, to be honest, did not bathe myself very well because I was, you know, too afraid. You know, if I shampoo, you know, clean myself and I look away, I'm going to look back and it's not going to be there, right? That's the worst outcome in this situation. Well, I, I tell this, you know, silly story because in the book called The Anatomy of the Soul, Kurt Thompson is a Christian psychiatrist who's done a lot of work between the relationship of the mind and spiritual development, spiritual growth. And in it, he mentions this spiritual practice that I'd like for us to consider this morning. And that is learning to pay attention to what we are paying attention to. Paying attention to what we pay attention to. And in the book, he gives an example of You know, there's a mature spiritual practice of being able to examine, let's say, when we get mentally or emotionally exhausted, there's a space there to be able to identify that. So he says, if we can take a step back and begin to look at our life, where our focus, where has our attention been going, what we might find is that, wow, there's been this, you know, work project that's been eating up every moment of my work schedule, Oh, well, actually, it's, I've been bringing it home a few nights every week. You know, well, now that I think about it, I've been thinking about it before I go to bed and when I wake up in the morning. And this is, we can be able to identify where our exhaustion is coming from. It's practice of paying attention to what we pay attention to. And we could go on and on with examples of this, but there is one emotion, there's one experience that serves as a huge red flag, a billboard of where our attention is going And that is in our fear. So when I was in this bathhouse in Australia, I was terrified of the snake. So my attention, the only thing I knew to be real in that moment was the snake in this bathhouse with me. 
And what we're going to be looking at is a story that we're all too familiar with. is Jesus and the disciples on a boat in the middle of a storm. And what we're going to see is that the disciples stumble across this uh, spiritual practice while trying to follow Jesus. And it comes about from their fear. That's how we first notice it. So before we get to Mark 4, we need to talk about fear. You know, fear is something that we see in the Bible over and over again. It's an emotion that people are really good at, as I'm sure we know. In the Bible, people are afraid of dying, of, of death. They're afraid of their enemies coming in and taking them captive, of, captive and taking them away from their homeland. But we also see that people in the Bible are afraid of their own family members and their own loved ones. And we see this all throughout the Bible. But there's also a flip side to fear. There's another side of the coin. And that is that in the Bible, we are encouraged to fear God. And it seems as if there is this spiritual maturity, this deep faithfulness to God that has something to do with giving our fear to God, giving our fear to God. <clears throat> In Proverbs chapter nine, we read this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And In chapter 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. We see this over and over again that we as God's people are encouraged to fear the Lord. And, you know, that might sound kind of off. That might rub us the wrong way. You know, what do you mean I'm supposed to fear the Lord? I thought, you know, what does it have to do with loving God? I thought I was supposed to love God. But what we're going to see this morning is that something changes when our fear and our attention is directed towards God. Because in scripture, this fear of the Lord is, is painted as this holy and healthy thing. It's not read in the light of, of a negative or a bad thing. But it still might kind of feel off. Might kind of still feel off. But I want to kind of gently encourage us to remember something before we continue on. And that is that God knows us intimately. He knows how we respond in certain circumstances. He knows our, our limitations. And he knows what is best for us. And we believe that he wants what is best for us. So as we continue on, I think it's important to remember that we ask the question, so if God is asking for our fear, maybe, just maybe he can do something with it that no one or no one else can. And this is important because at the core of what fear is, is the giving of our attention to what we feel is most real. What we fear most is what we believe to be most real. And this past year has proven that, right? We have had our fears become reality. There's a fear of losing of jobs. If I lose my job, am I going to lose the car? Am I going to lose the house? How's our finances going to pan out? We fear if our loved ones, you know, get with COVID-19 or, or near people, that they might not take it too well. We, and we have seen People from church, loved ones who've gone through these, our fears are encroaching in on our lives and become more tangible than maybe it ever has in our life before. So as we read Mark chapter four now and this story of Jesus calming the storm, be on the lookout for the disciples' fear, where it's going and what it produces in their life. Mark chapter four, starting in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. 
And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? So let's take part in our spiritual practice of paying attention to what we are paying attention to and ask the question, what are the disciples paying attention to? Well, that's kind of easy, right? It's the storm. So now we're going to ask the question, why is this what they're paying attention to? Again, that's pretty obvious. They are afraid. They are terrified of dying. And, you know, this is a safe space. I think we can admit that's probably not the worst idea in this moment, right? Their fear, this storm is literally encroaching into their space. It's literally pulling them back and forth, rocking them in this boat. Their fear is drenching their clothes with water. It's filling in the boat just as quickly as the water is. And we have to remember that these were fishermen. This was not an overreaction. You know, if I was in a boat and felt a strong wind, I'd probably think it was a storm, but it really wasn't. These men knew when storms went dangerous. So, of course, they are afraid. And in intense moments, what do we see fear does? It demands our attention and shows to us, reveals to us what is, what, what is most real in that moment. And we're reminded here of something that we as people are not good at multitasking. We're not good at giving our attention to a number of things. You know, we might think we can watch TV, check our email, eat dinner, scroll on social media all at the same time, but really we don't do any of those well. And I think our attention is the same way. And what we're going to see is this becomes something in us begins to stir and to suffer in our souls when our attention is taken away from God. Because notice, what is it that the disciples run to Jesus and say? Do they say, Jesus, save us, work your miracles, we've seen you do it before, save us. No, they come to Jesus and they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, don't you care? You see, in this moment, something has become more real, more tangible for the disciples than Jesus's and God's care itself. You know, we, I've all experienced these heavy, substantial things in our life that draws our attention away, things like cancer and death and significant injustices that we see in the world. You know, I like to believe that the, the disciples, they somewhere inside knew that Jesus cared, right? That Jesus Love them. And if you read the Gospel of Mark, Jesus makes this abundantly clear. There's evidence all around. But if we're honest, though, we have all said things that we have not really meant, right? Because in moments of extreme emotion, of disappointment, of hurt, of anger, we begin to lose sight of what we know to be true. And then we begin to speak out of a false self, a false sense of reality. 
So we say things to our spouses and our children, our friends that we don't really mean, but it's what we know or what we think to be true in that moment. And this begins to be a problem when we are noticing what we are paying attention to, because what we pay attention to, as we will see, produces something in our life. It bears fruit somewhere. I've got a silly example of this. Uh, during our snowpocalypse a few weeks ago, uh, you know, my wife and I, Natalie, were stuck at home, so we watched a lot of Shark Tank. Are y'all familiar with the show? Uh, Shark Tank is a show where uh, entrepreneurs, business uh, people have this epiphany of an idea. They have found a problem, have made a solution, and now they want to make money off of it. Uh, so they'll go to these investors, these sharks, make their pitch in hopes of elevating their business to the next level. So if you imagine, we watched this for a week just nonstop. How do you think I began to see the world? Everything was now a problem that needed a product solution that we can make money off of. And you see, what we give our attention to not only demands our attention, but it begins to change how we see and interact with the world. Think about, think about the disciples. How has their fear impacted the way that they now see Jesus? how they now see Jesus. What they are paying attention to has led to this wedge, this space between the disciples and Jesus. So they begin to wonder, you know, maybe Jesus doesn't care. He's talked a big game. He's done these incredible things. But in our moment of most need, where is he? He's sleeping on a cushion. You see, the spiritual practice of paying attention to what we pay attention to, noticing where our fear goes, we're admitting something. We're, we're, Bearing the truth that as people, our attention is always going to go somewhere. Our fear is always going to go somewhere. And this is why God asks that we fear the Lord. That's why he asks for our fear. And I want to be clear here. And, you know, this is not a sermon of, okay, believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, and everything's okay. Nothing's scary anymore. Your storms magically disappear. Because we, we know that's just not simply how life is. And this is not what the text does. It's not what Jesus does. Because if you notice, immediately when Jesus wakes up, what does he do? Does he, you know, ignore their distress? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. You'll be fine. Does he make them sit in the storm until the boat is sunk and they're just floating in the waters until they learn their lesson of faith? You know, I'm going to let you sit in until you learn better. No, immediately he gets up and he rebukes the storm and he says, peace be still. So when we are realigning our fear, realigning our attention towards God, we don't ignore, we don't dismiss what we're going through in life. But what we do is this, we hold up the two together, our, our fears and our anxiety, and we see them for what they really are. And we look at them in the light of the reality of who Jesus is. And we ask the question, which of these two is going to bring us life? Which of these two are we going to want to cling on to? Which of these has more care, more power in her life? And what I believe we will always see in the light of these two is that Jesus always wins out. Is that Jesus always wins out. You know, Jesus asked this really interesting question after he calms the storm. And he says, why are you so afraid? You know, in a way, I think we could say that Jesus is inviting the disciples to take part in the spiritual practice of noticing where their fear goes. You know, he says to the storm, peace be still. 
But I wonder how much of that he wanted the disciples to hear. You know, guys, take a moment, breathe, take a step back, be quiet, be still, and ask the question, where is your fear going? What is it producing in your life? What do you believe to be most real in this moment? You know, God, we see in his infinite goodness and in his infinite power can do something with our fear, with our attention that no one else can. That is when we give our attention and our fear to the storms in our life, what we see is it will always produce more fear, more anxiety, more stress. But when we fear the Lord, he produces hope. Because our eyes, our attention are realigned to a God who not only cares for us, but who has the ability and the authority to see that care made known in our life. And what we, we notice here is that after all of this, the storms have calmed. Jesus has set his peace. He's called out the disciples. Notice that their fear doesn't go away, but it's redirected. We read this at the end of our, of our passage. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, when their attention, their fears realign to God, to Jesus, they begin to see Jesus for who he really is, that he is the son of God, that he has power and authority. And I wonder how long it took them to think of the beginning of Genesis. When Jesus calms the storm, how long does it take for them to think of God floating over the chaotic waters? And we read that he brings order and peace. How long did it take for them to consider their people and their history in Exodus when they are fleeing from captivity and God splits the Red Sea in two. And now Jesus joins God in this work of power and authority by calming the storm. You know, I also think though, sometimes we think Jesus's words here are kind of harsh. You know, Jesus, what do you mean? They, you say they have no faith, but you know, give them a break. They thought they were about to die. But remember the, what has this fear left in them, a life, a worldview where God does not care for them. And I think why Jesus feels so direct, so harsh in this moment is because he knows the life that the disciples can have. And it's not one where there is no faith. There's not one where their faith is rocking around just like their boat is, but one where they are embraced by the care and the love of God. And that is what they cling on to. So his words are not harsh. They're not cruel, but they are life-giving because Jesus is showing them there is a better way to not give your fears over to the storm, but to give them to me because I am the one who can handle them. I am the one that can do something with them. And you know, what we've noticed is, is that this is so necessary. If this past year has shown us anything is that there's always going to be fear. There's always going to be something that our fears and intentions will go to, but it is Jesus who can do something with them. When I was doing uh, church work in Texas, there was this woman who was just an incredible woman. She was a wife to an elder at the church. And she's just one of these people whose faith seems so strong, so stable. And while we worked with this church, her, she began her second battle with cancer. Her cancer that was in remission had come back. You know, this was a woman who was so humble, who gave all the glory to God and in the face of her fear, face in her storm seems so strong. And I know if you were to ask her, how do you do it? How do you face your storms? She'd 
come up next to you, kind of shake your shoulder, look you in the eyes and say, I have seen Jesus in the boat with me. And that is what gives me hope. I'm not caught up in the storms, but Jesus is next to me. And that is what I see. So as we, we move to the Lord's Supper, as we think of communion and we remember the body and the blood of Jesus, what I love about this, this is the fulfillment of what we have been talking about. Because we see Jesus, a God who can bring people back to life, who can calm the storms, heal the lepers. He gives that all up at the cross. He submits that. And in this act of crucifixion and resurrection, we partake in the most caring act that has ever been known in this world. That is Jesus on the cross. But before we get there, I want us to prepare our minds for this moment of communion, of taking of the bread and the cup. So I want to give a space to partake in a spiritual practice of an exercise to give you what Jesus gave the disciples a moment of silence, a moment of stillness to identify our fear. In Deuteronomy, we read of this really interesting practice where Jesus says, or God says, you can learn the fear of the Lord. And it's through this uh, seasonal, this offering given to God. So we want to do the same thing. So I'd like for you to get comfortable, put both feet on the ground, uh, get your hands in a a spot that uh, will be relaxing, And we're just going to give you space in silence to consider and ask these questions. Where is my fear going? What is it producing? And what would it look like to give those to God? So I want to give you space and time to do that as I read Isaiah 43. And this will lead into our time of communion. I encourage you to breathe, find a rhythm to your breath as we give space for God. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overcome you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel your savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sabah in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, For I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. 
everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Father, as we soon partake in your bread and your cup, we invite you into our fears. We are reminded of your goodness and care and the love that you showed for us on the cross. And we pray that we are overwhelmed by this, that we relinquish and submit to you what's been pulling us away from you. And that we imagine a life where we cling to you. And as we sit in the boat, we see you and you alone. So now we remember your sacrifice, your goodness and care and your resurrection power as we now take part in the bread and the cup together as one unified body of believers in the boat together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.